as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the six Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot And I am Andy Wilson and extremely tired Yeah, we are, uh, so as we're recording this, uh, it's the day after everyone traveled home from Salt Lake Comic Con which was an absolutely fantastic blast, and we'll we'll talk about some of the panels we were on. But yep. um, normal Comic Con is is tiring as it is, but when you're part of it and you're doing panels and you're running panels, it's like five times more stressful. <laughs> yep. Um, yes, it is. So uh, today we've got two movies for you. Uh, we've got the kind of sci-fi thriller Morgan, and then we also have the uh, romantic story something The Light Between Oceans. Uh, I didn't get a chance that's to a, see that. Huh? That's a good way to put it. The romantic story something. <laughs> that's about uh, what this is. Uh, it's based on yeah. a novel. Of course it is. Uh, not written by Nicholas that's Sparks. But, yeah, but but in that, that same basic idea, um, this stars Michael Fassbender as a World War I vet just coming back from the war. And he's get he gets a job off the coast of Australia, tending a lighthouse. Of course and he does. It's literally out in the middle of nowhere. He's the only person on this island. Um, but, of course, there's a girl on the mainland who he meets, Alicia Vikander, and sparks almost immediately fly, and uh, she decides that they need to get married and move out to the lighthouse, and such is their romance. And things are basically happy, uh, until there are multiple tragedies uh, trying to for them to have children. Until one day, uh, a rowboat washes up on the shore of the lighthouse with a dead man and a live baby. And she says, we can't have babies of our own. Let's just adopt this one. Everybody thought I was pregnant. We'll just say this is the baby. And, uh, and convinces him that that's what they're going to do. And uh, they go back to the mainland, and of course they run into a weeping widow in the uh, in the city graveyard, played by Rachel Weisz, uh, who lost her husband and baby uh, when they rode out to sea and were never seen again. And uh, so, of course, all sorts of tragic things ensue. Um, you know, I I've often said Michael Fassbender, Alicia Vikander, Rachel Weisz, I would watch any of those three sit and read the phone book. I wish they'd sat and read the phone book. <laughs> it would have been more interesting, better paced. Um, it, there, this is, I, I don't know. There, it's, it's kind of like tragedy porn a little bit. And, and so there's a certain type of person who will absolutely love this movie. It's fairly well acted and it's really beautifully shot, but it's just boring, and it's essentially a lifetime movie with really great actors and really great production values. Uh, two and a half. Oh wow, God, yeah, yeah. You, th- I mean, you think with the, the pedigree of the actors and actresses in that, that they could have at least made it interesting. Yeah, no, they're they're really trying hard, but it's it's just so plotting, and uh, I just. You just can't get past it, and and it's really, really too bad. Um, yeah, I, 
just got oh. more. This is this is the same director who brought us Blue Valentine, so uh, it's not as though he doesn't know how to do romance and uh, and and great movies very well. Um, I just, uh, yeah, this is tragedy porn. Huh. Well, that's that's depressing because that's a movie that I actually wanted to see. They didn't uh, they did screen it for us, but uh, it was during uh, a time I either worked or had another movie I had to go see. So. Yes, and and the screening for your movie I could not make because it was while I was on my plane to Salt Lake City. <laughs> but you got <laughs> which, to which is, Morgan, which goes just as well. But yeah, uh, I, I think we'd rather have had you up here than at the Morgan's. Yep. But yeah, yep. Morgan uh, is the exact opposite of what you kind of described. Uh, it's kind of a sci-fi uh, thriller, action thriller. Uh, it stars Kate Mara as Lee Weathers, who is a risk assessment specialist uh, for this company. Uh, you start out with her driving out to this uh, kind of compound in the middle of nowhere. It's like a farmhouse type thing. And you learn that they have a whole secret underground laboratory. And down there they've been doing experiments with uh, kind of like – it has like a super soldier serum and spicing together uh, modified and artificial DNA trying to create something, we'll just say. Uh, and so far, their, uh, their best prototype is this young girl named uh, Morgan, who's played by Anya Taylor-Joy. We saw her. She was uh, actually one of the only good parts of The Witch. She was the young girl who uh, was you know, fighting with the demons and everything. Oh, and yeah, they, she they, is great. Yeah. They've called Kate Mara in because Morgan... Uh, or well, Lee Weathers. Yeah. They called her in because Morgan has lashed out and attacked uh, one of their scientists, uh, Kathy Grief, who's played by Jennifer Jason Lee, who we love. Uh, in fact, this this movie stuffed to the gills with excellent actors, like said Kate Mara, Jennifer Jason Lee, uh, Michelle Yeoh, who we all love from Crouch and Tiger, Hidden Dragon. You've got Paul Giamatti. Just a bunch of good, good people in here. Needless to say, the acting is fantastic. Uh, so Kate uh, Lee Weathers is called in to assess the situation. And figure out if uh, the, the Morgan prototype is still viable or should be terminated. And that's all I'm really going to say about the plot. Just because uh, while there is a, a couple big plot twists towards the end that honestly are foreshadowed 20 minutes into this movie. So if you don't see it, uh, you've never seen a movie apparently. Because <laughs> it's very, very <laughs> obvious. Uh, one shot in particular uh, is very, very obvious what's going on. Uh, my only complaint really with this movie is that uh, the writer, Seth Owen... He obviously saw last year's Ex Machina and fell in love with it. And as well, he should have because Ex Machina was one of the best films of last year. This kind of feels like Ex Machina light. Uh, it's a bit more uh, violent in some cases. Uh, it's a little more action-oriented. But it's the same kind of ideas and tropes and uh, issues that were brought up in Ex Machina are done so here, just not quite as well. That being said, though, it is overall pretty enjoyable. Uh it, Great acting. Like I said, you got a great pedigree of people there. Uh, well, I say the last 10 to 15 minutes, everything ramps up nicely. Uh, and it's the last two or three, you're kind of like, really? That's the route they went? Uh, but overall, it's a fun movie. I'm kind of sad it's not doing well at the box office. Apparently, no one's going to see it. Uh, maybe because they didn't do any trailers or previews for it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, overall, it's fun. Um, I'm at a 7 out of 10. So Yeah, this movie just kind of came out of nowhere. It's like, wait, what? What's this? What what's going on? And I don't know. Like Labor Day weekend is just a weird time to put out a movie. You know, I don't. Labor Day is one of those weekends where people aren't going to the movies, and if they are, they're probably going to see Kubo and the Two Strings. Hopefully, or um, 
or Don't Breathe, which is the one I still need to catch up on because that's gotten yep. uh, that's getting just absolutely fantastic reviews and looks yep. literally scary. And it's by the uh, the guy who did Evil Dead. So, yep. um, but yeah, so I mean, overall, you know, Morgan is it's there, there are better things out there. There's things you probably should go see uh, first, but this one will probably be on DVD really quickly. Uh, and hopefully, you know, I hope it does well because it's. I'd like to see where they, this director could go. He has some fun things, and I think there's a interesting story that just it's a bit reductive of what has come before. But I don't know. I had fun with it. Uh, that's uh, the most you can ask of a film, and uh, certainly better than what the light between oceans brought. So, oh, and it's I, like 82 minutes long too. So you're oh in and wow, out. you're in and out like you can't like faster than you can believe. So wow. So it doesn't linger and cut in. Make you wonder where, you know, look at your watch and find out what's going. Well, speaking of <laughs> amazing. <We're> tired. <laughs> yeah, speaking of being tired and amazing entertainment uh, and, and fi- trying to find a good segue, uh, Comic-Con, man, what a blast that was. Hats off to Dan Farr and Brian Brandenburg for throwing the absolute best party. And, uh, and of course, Ryan Call and Blake Castleman for, for programming so many amazing panels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we started off with a bang with Mark Hamill and William Shatner in in the Vivint Arena. That was so crazy to have uh, like ten thousand people shouting for Mark Hamill. That was so cool. That was so you cool. were lucky. While you were watching Mark Hamill, I was in the restroom having skin suit stare at my ass. Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh yeah, that was what I. So I really wanted to stay for the the William Shatner panel. Not Mark Hamill, but William Shatner, because uh, Hamill was first. And I, he packed out the lower bowl and started to fill up the upper bowl of the Vivint Arena. Like, it was yeah. insane. Like, how many people showed up for for Luke Skywalker slash the Joker? Uh, and he yep. was he was so much fun. He kind of gave some hints about Episode Eight that he didn't mean to. And then again, he, at the end, he says, but I could have been lying, too, so don't yep. trust me. <laughs> yep. Uh, but he was just so much fun to, to listen to. He's really engaging. Uh, his dog came on stage with him. Cutest little dog in the world, aside from Badger. Uh, but yeah, so William Shatner came up, and I had to head back over to the Salt Palace to get uh, to get my lanyard to actually get me into the panels and stuff. And so I go to use the restroom, and I turn around, and I literally like did the oh uh, thing because he was two feet behind me. <laughs> skin so, suit? Oh, oh god! That that begins like the entire Comic Con of skin suit like showing up in random places. Oh yeah, he's in like half the pictures on the, on the Comic Con page. I don't know how he be- pulls it off, but he wow. somehow manages to be in like every picture. Uh oh. <laughs> but anyway, so and you, uh, I gotta go to a couple of your panels. But which ones? I mean, the, the Cap versus Iron Man was absolutely fantastic. That was so wow. much fun. What were your What that were your favorite nice. panels? So I that was. That was not only my favorite panel, I think that is the best hour of 2016 that I have had. Like, that was just an amazing, amazing time. Uh, You had me, Mark Middlemass, and Danielle from uh, Hello Sweetie on Team Cap versus Brian Young, Sean Means, and Deborah Jensen on Team Iron Man in a formal debate about the Sokovia Accords and whether they were good or bad. That, oh man, it was fun. We were, um, we were smart. We were funny. Uh, Team Iron Man was reductive and pedantic. Uh, 
Oh, I had to stop myself. I wanted to. Te- I, I wanted to text you like responses so many times. I'm like, nope, I'm not part of this debate. So I need to sit here and be a good <laughs> a good participant. <laughs> no, they were they were great, and I was trying to not look at my phone too. So uh, I was I was looking at time, and I was looking at my notes that I had on there, but but not much else. And the other thing, oh, did you see the cosplayers that showed up there? You know, it was kind of funny because I I did see them. I was on the left hand. I was on the left side of the room, so I couldn't mm-hmm. see them very well. But uh, that guy who was Tony Stark. I don't want to know how much time and effort he put into that that Iron Man uniform because he, first of all, looked like Tony Stark. And yeah. That uniform and that that uh, costume he was wearing looked like it was a prop from the movie. Yeah, that was amazing. That the cap looked pretty um, movie realistic. The uh, the Black Panther looked movie realistic. I I wanted to run off stage and like go get pictures with those guys. But, but <laughs> like, hold on one second. We're going to stop the debate. <laughs> like, let's go get some pictures with these awesome cosplayers because they're amazing. So, yeah. um, if anybody got pictures of those, please uh, email them to us, tag us, or, or something because that was that was absolutely amazing. And of course, Team Iron Man won, or I mean, excuse me, Team Cap won. Um, we totally destroyed Team Iron Man. It was probably, I don't know, what would you say, sixty forty, seventy thirty? It, uh, it was it was somewhere around there. It was it was pretty. Pretty obvious that team cap won. Yeah, uh, it was it was kind of a spanking, I guess you would say. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I mean, I, I I do have to say, I think in terms of like professionalism and uh, and rhetoric, uh, Team Iron Man might have might have done a better job. Um, but we we had a great time just kind of grab assing and and uh, taking it seriously, but maybe not too seriously, and uh, and 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 kicking ass. Yeah. So. Well, Mark, Mark Middlemas uh, was definitely taking it seriously. <laughs> he was <laughs> he all was. over that thing too. Every every time I tried to jump in, Mark was Mark was there before me. I'm like, oh, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit back and let Mark take this because he's got it. He got yes. it. Yeah. But that so. was that was definitely the of all the of the panels I went to. Uh, that was that I was like just a uh, audience member of. That was easily my favorite one because that was it was a lot of fun. You guys and you guys were in a big room. You were in the biggest room aside from the grand ballroom and you guys packed that place out yeah that was crazy i i was not prepared for how big that room was but um good thing they blind you with the lights up there so you don't see um but when i finished my first speech and heard all those cheers i'm like oh this is what like (laughs) (laughs) three thousand people cheering for me feels like (laughs) <laughs> I like this feeling. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Was really, really cool. So that that was if you uh, if you didn't get to go, I know they. I'm pretty sure they filmed it, uh, yeah. and also they're from what I got from Ryan was they're going to start doing a debate every con. So uh, there'll be a different theme. It'll be the same kind of thing. We have the, the moderator who's just you know okay, you got two minutes to give your side, two minutes for your rebuttal. So uh, keep an eye out because I'm sure with the as popular as this one was, they'll keep it going. Yeah. So. So I, I don't know if I'll if I'll be able to participate next time because there there are a few things I feel le- more passionate about than uh, Team Cap. So I might not be the right person to be on there. If it's like Star Trek versus Star Wars, I'm like I'm out. You guys have fun with that. But Team so Cap. Were you were you there when uh, the, uh, at the after party talking about the Star Wars and Star Trek panel? Yes, I was. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I didn't. I couldn't remember if you were there or not because I know you came a little bit later up there. So that was. Yeah, I, I heard about that. That that made me very sad. That like there was a panel on how Star Trek and Star Wars like 
we're trying to come together and and make the world a better place. And, and it turned into a Star Wars versus Star Trek like drag out fight. <laughs> some people that that's why one of the panels I moderated was on uh, Star Trek villains. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, as we introduced the panelists, um, I, I asked everyone to give their favorite Star Trek villain. And I said that Star Trek's greatest villains are Star Trek fans. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Just how in, uh, in on the the Geek Show Family Feud, like what was uh, one of Aquaman's greatest uh, villains? And it was DC fans. <laughs> DC fans, yes. That was also great. So if you, uh, so you obviously the the, the Team Cab, Team Iron Man panel was your favorite. What's maybe what would be a runner up? Oh, uh, this was amazing. Uh, I I moderated a panel on Five Nights at Freddy's, which is a, an indie video game uh, about haunted, uh, haunted Chuck E. Cheese, essentially, uh, where the, the animatronics come to life and try and kill you. Kids love it. I think the average age in that room was maybe 13. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started off the panel, and even before we were done introducing ourselves, there were three people lined up at the mic. And so I said, well, let's just start with audience questions because rather than us talk, let's hear from you, the fans. The entire rest of the panel, there was a line from the mic to the door and back. Mm-hmm. The, room was, the room was packed. They turned people away. And as people continued asking questions, the line continued to fill up. At, at the end of the hour, we still had a line to the door of people with questions. It was just amazing. I, I, I'm amazed at how much people love stuff like Five Nights at Freddy's and Undertale, but it's not our generation. It's, it's my kids and their generation. So uh, I really need to talk to Ryan and Blake about um, getting a bigger room and doing that again and then getting some people who actually know their stuff on Five Nights at Freddy's even better than I do because I'm, like um, I'm like a decent fan who knows what's up but i am mm-hmm. by no means the expert uh that that some people are so we got to get some of these like youtubers who these kids go crazy for and and get them in there and hopefully we can do that for um for the next comic con or or fanex or something because this is obviously a fandom that's uh, uh really really into this um i i guess we will get to know this more there's supposed to be a movie that is possibly coming out in 2018 so hopefully we're still doing this podcast then and we'll be able to officially talk about five nights at freddy's right (laughs) yeah and that's the funny thing i've seen it um you know it's always you know if you open up the app store it's always one of the top downloaded apps yep Uh, i don't quite get it but again i'm not really the target audience for uh for for this game that's what's so cool is it's actually a very simple game and if like if you take it on that level, you're like, oh well, this is a dumb game. There's nothing to it. What makes it cool is the fandom because there's all these little breadcrumbs that are that are throughout it that tell this very detailed story uh, in between all of the games. And it's kind of like jazz. It's like don't listen to the notes he's playing. Listen to the notes he's not playing, and your mind is able to fill in the the extra bits. And so everybody's got their own fan theory about exactly what all of these things mean. And 
that's what makes the fandom so cool. So well, yeah, you were you were prepping for this uh, in in the hotel room, and I was listening oh, to man. some of like, the videos and stuff you were watching, and, and I was like, "What is this for?" And you're like, Five Nights at Freddy's." I'm like, "Where in the hell are they getting all this?" <laughs> I, I've seen the game. He's like, and you explain what you just told us just now. So yeah. I was like, I had no idea that it was the the fan theories were so in depth and complicated. <laughs> yeah, it, they get really intense, and the number of kids who like had artwork that they wanted me to look at at the end, who uh, the kids who wanted to like explain their own theories, it was just absolutely amazing. Um, and this is one of those things that is definitely of the rising generation, and I want to be like a good, I don't know. Uh, a good geek godfather and like prep, <laughs> prep the next generation to like uh, help them in their fandom uh, the way I wish that like someone had done for me with like Star Trek and Star Wars as I was their age. Yeah. Well, and also it, it's nice too. We, we've talked before about the fact that, you know, when you and I were growing up, uh, you know, being a geek was getting your, you know, it was getting beat up on, on the playground. Whereas nowadays it's, so it's not only mainstream, it is pop culture. Uh, you look at the top 10 grossing films of all time, and they're all geek movies. They're all Harry Potters and Avengers and Spider-Man and Lord of the Rings and uh, stuff that you, you would have told me 20 years ago. Oh, hey, everything you love and you're getting beat up for now is going to be like way cool. Like Power Rangers, they're making a new Power Rangers movie that everyone's going to be yeah. excited for. I would have slapped you. Because <laughs> yep. I was like, no, you're full of crap. Yeah. So, what about you? What were what were your favorite Comic Con moments? Uh, you know, it was uh, my favorite moments themselves were actually happened outside of the con. Uh, we had a lot of friends who, like you, flew up. We had our buddy, my buddy Brian, flew in. Uh, we had friends drive down from uh, just down from uh, Bountiful, which isn't too far away, but we don't see each other too often. Uh, and it was really just hanging out with everyone and getting just to kind of reconnect, and then uh, you know, getting in trouble at the Hotel Montego for being too loud. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Uh, that actually wasn't me. That was someone else. But I was I was in the vicinity, so we had to. Keep we were in life. the. I was probably contributor to being too loud. I was laughing very loudly, <laughs> was, and I wasn't even drunk. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I no, I, an well, and, and Carrie Jackson did break me. So thank you for that, Carrie. Uh, <laughs> but no, like my favorite panels, uh, the the LGBT panel always is a lot of fun. I actually got to moderate this year, uh, so. You know, first of all, if anyone who is on the panel is listening, thank you so much, you guys and girls and everyone in between. Uh, you made it a fantastic panel that people were interested in. I mean, that room was uh, fully packed out. We had you know people standing room only, uh, lots of really good questions, uh, and we had some really moving moments too. There was a, a young girl, I think she was about sixteen, very very soft spoken, uh, said that she had never uh, been part of anything LGBT. This is the first time she's even gone to a panel or um, been in a room with people who are like her. Uh, and she feels like she, you know, she, she's asexual. And her question was, how do I come out and make it so people don't hate me or think I'm broken? And it was heartbreaking to see this, you know, this young, sweet little girl saying this kind of stuff. But at the same time, it was so cool that we actually presented a forum and a place that she could come to, she could feel safe, um, and have the courage to ask that of people who actually understand and could help her with it. So that was That's absolutely amazing. amazing. Yeah. And then the one panel I was really worried about uh, was uh, the Calvin and Hobbes panel. Uh, not that I was worried about the panelists or the subject, uh, but it was a 10 a.m. panel on Saturday, and it was the same time as Michael Rooker. And Michael Rooker is much more interesting than I am. 
<laughs> so I was really worried, and it was in a big room. It was in a. It wasn't as big as two fifty uh, a, but it was like it was about maybe half as big as that. So it was you know five six hundred people, and I got there at like nine uh, nine forty five, and the room was halfway full. I'm like, oh cool, well, we're gonna have a, a good showing. By the time we started, that thing was packed out, and I was like, oh holy crap, I can't believe I'm this is happening. That's so cool. I was really worried about this. Uh, and then we had an, an emotional moment there. There was a, a little six year old kid who raised his hand and asked the panel, like, you know, well, which Calvin's your favorite, like uh, stupendous man or spaceman Spiff or whoever. And about five minutes later, his, his mom put her hand up. And so I went over there and called on her and she just explained that her, you know, her son is the same age as Calvin has, you know, imaginary friends, uh, not quite the, the popular kid at school, doesn't really have too many school friends. Um, and she had trouble with that because you want the best for your kids. Um, and then she, she broke down and started crying and she said she's so thankful for Calvin and Hobbes because reading these comics um, have helped her be a better parent for her son. And so it, it was just, again, it was just a moment we, I wasn't expecting. It was so cool because, you know, yeah, we're, we're here talking about this kid, his imaginary best friend who's a stuffed tiger and all the crazy shenanigans they do. We had... Uh, some fun jokes about the snowman he makes and just like he's a rascal. But in all of that, there was still someone who their life is better and their kid's life is better uh, because of this comic strip. And again, it was something I wasn't expecting, but that was definitely the, the best part of that panel. That's absolutely amazing. But yeah, so that was, that was our comic con. Uh, we, you know, if you came and saw us, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, if you didn't get to, uh, I know we'll be back next year. We might even be back mid year because they said they weren't going to do a Fanex, and now there's a Fanex scheduled on the Salt Palace. So who knows right now? Wait, wait for an announcement before we start saying things. Uh, but if any of you came to our panels and supported us, thank you so much. Uh, we, we hope you had a good time. And uh, I know we, we both had a lot of fun uh, putting everything together and, and putting them on for you. Yeah, that, it was absolutely amazing. And one of the, one of the things that, that kept coming up uh, that I that I thought was so interesting. A lot of people were talking about uh, Gene Wilder, and mm-hmm. uh, even though you know there weren't any like Gene Wilder centric panels or anything, but uh, people definitely felt that, and it was really amazing uh, within the you know within the hours after finding out about his death, the the outpouring of love and support for him. Um, I wouldn't have thought that it was so big. Like when I heard it, I was like, whoa, I mean, I know how big of a deal it was for me, but I had no idea how many other people felt the exact same way. Adam, what, what was your uh, response to that? What was really funny was about three days before he passed, I was driving to work and I very specifically remember I just pulled out onto West Temple uh, from where I live and I it popped on my head, you know, I haven't heard anything from Gene Wilder in a while. I wonder how he's doing. And then three days later, it's like, oh, sh- you know, crap. Uh, no, that th- this one hit me hard. Uh, I've been a huge fan of Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder you know, ever since I was a kid and was allowed to finally start watching his movies because, let's be honest, they're a little bit crass sometimes. <laughs> Not something you want to show an eight-year-old. Uh, yeah. But yeah, or, or maybe the perfect thing to show an eight-year-old. Or, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are a couple scenes in, like, uh, in Blazing Saddles that would have some deep discussions, I think. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, it's Twoo. It's Twoo. <laughs> um, but no, this, this one hit me hard because I was at work when I found out. And it was just, you know, I've loved his work since I was a 
you know, since I started watching it, he's always, uh, a lot of my humor came from his movies, like my sense of humor and how I've kind of grown and developed and, um, as an adult. So yeah, this one was, this was a big deal. And it, it was kind of funny because we hadn't heard from him in so long. You know, he was very, very private. You know, he, he had had Alzheimer's for a little bit and it was kind of like when, uh, Michael Crichton and Patrick Swayze passed away of pancreatic cancer. They didn't tell anyone. They just like, Hey, we're, this is what's happening. And then when it was announced afterwards, uh, what had happened, it kind of took everyone by surprise. I think it was the same with this because it wasn't like, like we, it wasn't like with Jimmy Carter having, you know, cancer and then it going away, you know, if someone has cancer or we know, oh, publicly, uh, like, uh, oh, what's his name? Who wrote the Discworld books? Terry Pratchett, because uh, he has Alzheimer's. And he, he, he was doing fundraisers to help aid research. So when he passed away, it wasn't a surprise because we knew about it. And, uh, but again, I, I fully respect uh, the Wilder family, that you know their, their privacy and kind of letting him pass on his own, own terms, which I think we all kind of want in our lives. Well, it was it was amazing and and heartbreaking in its own right. The the letter that his nephew released on behalf of the family, saying that he didn't want people to know because whenever he's out and people recognize him, uh, he he didn't he he sometimes couldn't remember these things that uh, that he'd done. He he didn't remember uh, his work on Willy Wonka, but he didn't want to rob a, a child or someone uh, the idea that they could, you know, talk to the real mm-hmm. Willy Wonka. Uh, that's so beautiful and, and such a kind hearted thing to say. And um, I, I just, it made it all the more interesting to me. And um, as I was, as I was writing the in memoriam for a big shiny robot, I, I was torn with whether to say this or not. Um, but in, in talking with a couple of people, including Jimmy Martin, I, I feel like I can stand by this statement a little bit better. I feel like Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor invented the, the buddy cop action movie with, uh, with silver streak and with stir crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that was, that was kind of the original, and then and then it really made its formula with like forty eight hours a little while earlier or a little while later. Um, but we, I feel like we wouldn't have ever had a Lethal Weapon if we hadn't had Silver Streak, and mm-hmm. uh, it's it's just so foundational and so important. And I think about the pop culture influence that Willy Wonka has had. Uh, that movie was like the quintessential cult classic. It did not do well in theaters. It found a second life on VHS and home video, and we all watched it over and over and over again. Oh and, yeah! And so, of course, you can see it in uh, it, it shows in it shows up in Family Guy. It shows up in Futurama. It shows up in it so many. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, the sarcastic Wonka meme. Jeez. Yeah, which actually were was being used about his death. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about that, but oh well, that's that's fine. I he had such an oversized influence um, compared to uh, his his body of work because so much of it was so excellent, and 
And this kept coming up at Comic-Con too, this, this idea of political correctness. And uh, two or three times people, people said, you couldn't make blazing saddles today. I think that's an ongoing debate about whether it could or not. If, um, if you had a director like Spike Lee do it, you probably could. Um, yeah. But the, the funny thing about that was after, uh, <clears throat> oh, Django and Chain came out, uh, yep. Mel Brooks started, and again, I don't know how serious he was, was jokingly put out there, oh, I guess I can start working my Blazing Saddles musical now. Yep. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it, a movie like that would, I think, would have a very difficult time getting made unless the stars aligned perfectly and you had like the perfect cast and director uh, that all of Hollywood and society would sign off on. Yeah, I think the more I think about it, the more I think, I think you could make a movie like Blazing Saddles. What you couldn't make is Dumbo. <laughs> I, I think you could, uh, because a movie where you are using racism to make fun of racism, I think would get somewhat of a pass. But you're right, you'd have to get the right director who has a certain amount of credibility and and the right cast and and everyone uh, to be able to understand that the humor isn't being racist; it's making fun of racism and yeah. it's a stand up of racism. Uh, whereas Dumbo, <laughs> I don't. I think you've never seen an elephant fly. <laughs> <laughs> I seen a house fly. I seen a dragon fly. But I never. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I don't. I, I think that you couldn't get away with that, and the that kind of like casual racism that is just uh, broad stereotypes and and isn't serving any other purpose other than uh, perpetuating these stereotypes that are well, pretty damaging. So, but on the flip side too, the most popular ride at Disneyland is based on songs of the South. So, uh, y- yes, <laughs> yes, yes, it is. So. A movie which will never see the light of day ever again. <laughs> yeah, and if you want it, there's bootlegs out there, so go get it. Uh, but I, what's interesting, I, the uh, I own actually. I'm looking at it right now. It's the the uh, the Blu-ray of the Looney Tunes Platinum Collection. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the beginning of certain episodes, they'll uh, have like Whoopi Goldberg or an actor on there, or someone or a little statement will pop up saying, you know, because if you go back and watch Looney Tunes, they're racist as hell. <laughs> Yep, there's some really over the racist things, which back then that was perfectly permissible. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't even looked at as being racist because that's how almost everyone, well, all white people, will say, yes. uh, yep. thought. And the the questions come up before, like, well, how come you don't um, edit those things out the same way people are like, oh, why don't you edit out the smoking from I Love Lucy? Uh, and the response came was like, well, no, this was a product of the times. And it's very, very important that we acknowledge our history and don't ignore it so it doesn't get repeated. And as much as we have, you know, even though the Supreme Court says racism doesn't exist anymore, uh, ah, yeah. you know, it, it very obviously does. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's, we're not going to, again, we're not trying to be political. We're just commenting on what's happening right now with society. Yeah. Uh, and so there, there are important themes that we need to make sure that we're learning from and, you know, just because like Looney Tunes or Songs of the South or uh, like Blazing Saddles, or you know, we can look at those things and be like, oh wow, like that's the point they're trying to make. And, and Blazing Saddles, especially, like every single race, racist person, the whole movie is called out for being horrible and made fun of. Uh, and that was kind of the again, that was the point of the movie. So, 
Yeah, and and Gene Wilder, that is just, it's amazing to me that he was able to make Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein in the space of a year. He made. Oh, that's yeah. I I, that kind of shooting schedule doesn't really exist anymore. (laughs) Yeah, and and the fact that he was helping to write and direct both of them. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. And the the other amazing thing about Gene Wilder was that you put him with Mel Brooks and you put him with Richard Pryor and they somehow become greater than uh, the sum of their two parts. Mm-hmm. They, they multiply each other's talents. And, and I dare say that Mel Brooks was never better than when he was working with Gene Wilder. And Richard Pryor was never better than when, when he was working with Gene Wilder. And Gene Wilder was never better than when he was working with both of, with both of those two. Um, no offense to movies like uh, The Lady in Red, but <laughs> no, you're no Blazing Saddles, you're no, uh, you're no Young Frankenstein, you're no Silver Streak. Um, or the producers. So, or, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just, you know, it's, it's absolutely amazing. And uh, he, he was such an oversized talent, and we, we owe so much to him. Um, I owe, it's, it's very few people, again, thinking back to Mark Hamill, uh, who have influenced my childhood and who have influenced me as an adult as well. Um, and and I feel like uh, Gene Wilder was able to do both of those. Yeah, I was look- I'm looking through his filmography, and uh, it, it's weird because he hasn't done he hasn't done a movie for 25 years. No, nope. uh, it was uh, another you back in 1991, and then I remembered that he he did do some television later on in life, and he uh, won an Emmy for, for Will his, and Grace, uh, his role in Will and Grace, and it was really yeah. fun watching that because I mean, I love Will and Grace. I watched every single episode multiple times, more times than I care to admit, and. Even though this was Gene Wilder in his later, it was in his seventies when he was on Will and Grace, uh, he still had that glint in his eye. Like even though his character wasn't a crazy person, you could still just you could still see he was doing something he loved. He was doing, and he brought like this other, this like next level of funny to these this show. And the show was already a very hilarious show, but every second he was on screen, he just lifted it even further. And, um. Yeah, I'm glad he, you know, he he did everything on his own terms. He he said specifically, like, hey, I, if someone brought me a script I like, I'd do a movie. But you know, I'm as far as I'm concerned, I'm pretty much done. They're they're not making them like they used to, and they're not doing them the way I like to do them. And uh, but yeah, he but still he left a legacy that you know actors who will be in five times as many movies uh, will never come close to living up to. Mad genius. Yeah. So oh, amazing. Anyway, so sorry to leave on kind of a downer note, but if anything, go home. Uh, if you don't own it, uh, Blazing Saddles came out uh, a little bit ago with a 30-year with anniversary edition. That's got all kinds of cool posters and little cards in it. Uh, Pick that up. It's on Blu-ray. They cleaned it up. It looks absolutely gorgeous. So yeah, go watch a movie or two in his honor. And then, um, yeah, we'll, we'll come back next week. I think the only thing on my schedule I've got is Sully. Uh, Same here. So it's, it's a small week, but again, it is September. We're kind of crossing the border from the dump land that's uh august into coming up soon the uh the award season so we should be getting some good stuff so next week we'll have sully uh, but until then hail satan and have a lovely afternoon punk ass tripping but it's all right homie scored a key he's gonna fly punk ass fly
Hold your breath. Make a wish. Count to three. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look and you'll see into your imagination. We'll begin with a spin traveling in the world of my creation. What we'll see will defy explanation. If you want to view paradise, simply look around and view it. Anything you want to do it. Want to change the world? There's nothing to it. Hurry up, pilot! This way, Grandpa. No life I know to compare with pure imagination. Living there, you'll be free if you truly wish to be. If you truly 